shed, the shed, be lovely little shed. Might as well get a Chesterfield, the toilet and the bed. It's the only place where I can go and tinker with my toys. Go and find solitude with a bunch of ugly guys. Be break. is uh, Shed Happens, even when you're socially isolating again. Um, I'm Patrick from the Froome Men's Shed. Now, men's, women's and community shed provide local people with the space to work together on practical projects. The people who go, we call them shedders, work on projects for themselves, other charitable groups and schools and people in the community. To help shedders stay connected, the UK Men's Shed Association, working with the Froome Shed and Froome FM, is um, running this weekly radio show on Froome FM every Wednesday morning. And we hope the show helps listeners to better deal with the coronavirus pandemic, whether you're locked in, emerging from being locked down or restricted under some complex tiering system. Coming up is a short taste of what you can expect to hear in the show today. Welcome to Shed Happens in Glorious Stereo, broadcasting around the UK and around the world. In today's show... Yeah, everyone seems to have forgotten about Brexit. I hear there's quite a lot of debate about whether a scotch egg is a substantial meal or not. It's look after your teeth and your smile will look after you. Be honest with you, it's 35-ish is how it says <laughs> on our flyers. Oh yeah, my, mine is an epic advent calendar fail. Saved by my mother-in-law. There's actually been a lot of really positive things come from it as well and it's been great to sort of hear both sides of the story. Shed happens even when you're self-isolating, so self-isolate responsibly. Now we're delighted to be joined today by some shedders from the Make Shed, a shed for younger people in Froome, and also the Tech Shed. And in the studio we have Kate Gordon from the UK Men's Shed Association. We're also very pleased to have Sarah Cummings and Jenny Hannis from a charity called Spark Somerset with us today. So welcome everybody. Hello. Hi there. Hi. Okay, now first, we'd like to kick off and just go around the studio. And it being recorded today on the 1st of December, we're going to ask questions about Advent calendars. Now, my story on Advent calendars is I have three daughters, and when they were very young, the eldest used to always conspire to open the last window on Christmas Eve. So she used to get sisters to open the first one. And surprisingly, she always ended up opening Christmas Eve until they were both old enough to realise what she was doing. And then we had to buy three Advent calendars. <laughs> so, Kate, what's the story you've got on Advent calendars? Well, mine's very recent. So during national lockdown round two, as you're scrambling around trying to find ideas, valid reasons for leaving the house, I decided to treat myself with a trip to Marks and Spencer's on a Sunday to get my two nephews some, uh, some nice Advent calendars and to then put in the post. And as I went in and it was very, very busy because you know, everybody's got the same idea. And I picked up two advent calendars, luxury, thinking five pounds, brilliant. And I queued for nearly 25 minutes. And when I got to it, they were £12.50 each. Uh, so that was nearly, yeah, so I was £12.50 on a four-year-old and a seven-year-old advent calendars. So by that point, I was so exhausted by the fact I'd been queuing for that long. Uh, I decided to leave it. And then I had to take it to the post office and that could cost me another seven or eight pounds. So in total, I've spent nearly £30 on advent calendars. 
And my boyfriend complained that he hadn't got one. But the reason he hasn't got one is because last year I bought him one and he ate it like a selection tray. He took the packet off and sat there and ate it all. So I got told off for not buying one for him and spent £30 on advent cards. Not a good year for me. <laughs> oh dear. Well, I'm, well, I'm sure that the people who received the advent calendars were much appreciated. <laughs> Sarah, we understand you had an advent calendar problem too. Oh, yeah. Mine, mine is an epic advent calendar fail. I've got three children. They're 5, 10 and 16. And... Uh, I just didn't didn't get them one this year, but it was okay because I was I was saved by my mother-in-law who um, turned up yesterday with with three advent calendars and one for me and a cheese advent calendar for my husband. So every day has a, a portion of cheese that you can uh, that you can try, which is quite interesting. But no, saved by my mother-in-law. Well, well done, well done, mother-in-law. I understand you can get gin advent calendars too, with a miniature gin for every day, but it costs oh, about sixty or seventy yeah. quid. Ridiculous. <laughs> Any other stories on advent calendars? PJ, do you get an advent calendar? I'm not doing an advent calendar this year. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm isolating and I'm not opening any doors to anyone unless I know who's there. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny or Cassie, advent calendars or not? Yeah, we've got advent calendars in our house. And uh, for once, I was actually organised and managed to buy them before the 2nd of December. So um, the kids, not massively excited. My husband, very excited. <laughs> <laughs> that is the chocolates in there, Jenny? Yeah, just the yeah. chocolate ones. Yeah, Although yeah. my my youngest uh, said she thinks it's a Peppa Pig book, not a Peppa Pig advent calendar. So oh. I think she might be disappointed when she uh, finds us chocolate behind the door. <laughs> well, well, thank you for that. Um, now, look, we're going to chat with um, Sarah and uh, Jenny from a charity called Spark in Somerset. I have to say Spark Somerset have been brilliant and have done some really excellent work for Sheds in Somerset over the last 12 months. They run a monthly Zoom call amongst all the Sheds. And we have something like 17 or 18 attendees every month, which is fantastic for us to stay in touch during the lockdown. They've helped with grant applications and with first aid and mental health training. So thank you very much indeed from uh, Menshed in, in Somerset and um, welcome to uh, Jenny and Sarah. So maybe we can kick off. Um, and, and if you could, Jenny, tell us about Spark Somerset and what does it do? Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, first of all, thank you for having us, Patrick. Um, so Spark is an organisation that provides information, advice, training and support to charities and community groups across Somerset. Um, essentially, I suppose what we try to do is help communities to help themselves. Um, and that can include support around things like governance and legal structures and how to kind of set up your organisation. We've got a funding service if you're looking for grants and um, support in making applications. We also run a volunteering service, so matching volunteers to potential opportunities and inspiring people to get involved and make a difference within their communities. We offer a DBS checking and advice service. We run uh, a number of training programs and forums, obviously of which Menshed is one of them. Uh, and we also look to represent the voluntary sector at a county and regional level. So we like to kind of call ourselves uh, the voice of the smaller organisations, perhaps those who don't have uh, you know, a larger charity nationally backing them um, and also within South Somerset we run a well-being service as well so we do a lot of different things um, but like I say anything that a charity or an organisation wants to sort of help with their development then that's what we can support them with. I mean you've been very good with, with sheds helping sheds help each other and I, I, that's really nice to see um, so some of the, the new sheds in, in Somerset Axe Valley and, and Minehead are working together with some of the existing sheds under your kind of support and encouragement to, to help themselves, which is best best result, I think. Definitely, yeah. And the, uh, the men's sheds are a fabulous bunch. So yeah, it's a really nice part of work to be involved with from our point of view. 
Well, that's very nice to hear. Thank you very much indeed. I'm sure you say that to all the forums that you talk Absolutely to. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we but do. this wellbeing service, what's the wellbeing service that you run? So the wellbeing service is uh, predominantly for us within South Somerset, and that is work around things like social prescribing. So where people maybe have long term health conditions or um, limiting health conditions, we can kind of point them in the right direction of places and groups that may be able to help them where they can potentially go and volunteer or where they can maybe access support. Um, and we also work with some of the housing groups within the South Somerset area as well to um, support their residents as well. I mean, that's, yeah, that's fantastic. But I think the other thing you organise is actually you've got um, a representative for each district in the county too, so that everyone's kind of got a local contact, which I think is really valuable. Yeah, definitely. So now we're fortunate that, that we cover the whole of Somerset. Previously, there was no one working in the sort of Taunton and West Somerset area, but now there is a Spark representative in every district. So anyone who needs some support, regardless of where they live in Somerset, can have some support from uh, one of the Spark team or one or more of the Spark team. No, I mean, and that's that's fantastic. And uh, on the forum, you often have people who've got specialisms on grants and um, training and things like this. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we've got a, a funding team and a volunteering team as well now. So we are an ever growing organisation. Yeah, and no, it just I've heard through the Shed Ambassadors, so there's Patrick and Pat Cook and I think Brian Bastable as well, all from mm -hmm. Somerset that, that joined that Shed Forum call. And they all are, you know, um, singing the praise of, of Sheds coming together. And it just sounds like a really great opportunity for other sheds around the country to to do the same and I just guess I just guess my question is what's the equivalent or um are there equivalent services that you know of around the country that that, that could do similar things for shed movements around um around the UK um off the top of my head um, I guess I suppose we're a kind of an independent organization just covering Somerset so we don't have an obvious equivalent but I'm very sure that there are people doing similar things to us in other areas um, and I guess if anyone from other areas are listening and they don't quite know where to go to get in touch then you know absolutely give us a call and we can see if we can do some sort of research and find out if there's anyone equivalent equivalent in their area that could provide similar support to us. And it sounds very similar to CVS doesn't it on some levels but it does sound like you go above and beyond that actually provides forum support for, for shed specifically and that I think it's a really really um a really interesting idea yeah for, for other areas mm. yeah we will put um, on the show webpage uh, Jenny we'll put the um, details of contact how you can contact Spark but um how have you been affected by the uh, Covid crisis and have you got examples of creative work that you've come across with all the forums that you deal with yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I suppose as an organisation, our usual activity has been hugely impacted. So uh, the, when the sort of COVID-19 lockdown started, um, we immediately had to pretty much drop what we would usually be doing and respond as quickly and flexibly as we could to those kind of new emerging needs. Um, so we've kind of continued to support the existing groups as they've navigated their way through lockdown, what sort of effect it's had on those people using the groups and, and you know, in those groups to be keeping in touch with people uh, right through to the steps that they've needed to take to get back up and running again. Um, but then on top of that, we've also had an enormous amount of community activity, which sort of suddenly took off, obviously, in response to the need to help each to help other people. And we've played a key part in helping those groups, sort of linking them with other partners, supporting the work that they're doing, uh, helping them to access some funding and additional volunteers. Uh, and we also created a significant amount of resources to help people sort of navigate that ever changing guidance um, with a dedicated live chat facility to give people a more immediate response to their questions um, and a support service for some of those 
volunteers that sort of stepped forward to lead COVID-19 groups so that they had somewhere that they could come and get some support and advice and guidance. Uh, and now we're working on more of a legacy from COVID-19 and harnessing some of that really great goodwill to ensure that to sort of try and encourage people into some more longer term volunteering. Um, through, I guess through all of the work we, we've done, we ran a lot of forums during the sort of main lockdown, again, to just try and give people an opportunity to sort of come together, um, sound out ideas, hear from other people about what they were doing, you know, and give them as much support as we could to get through those first few months. Uh, we've had some really great examples, too many to mention now, but just a couple of, of really brilliant ones, which we sort of love to hear about is uh, there was quite a number of Hinkley Point workers that were furloughed um, and we were able to link them up with staff from Somerset Care and they carried out some improvements in the grounds of some of the, their care homes. Um, so using that time, obviously, when they weren't working to put the skills and abilities that they've got to some really good use. Uh, we also worked with some players and staff from Somerset County Cricket Club to run the Cup campaign, which was around packing and sending out care packages to a lot of the volunteers during Volunteers Week. Um, we've had a member of staff involved in creating a community cookbook with some of the housing group residents. Uh, and we've also seen lots of people putting up rainbow trails and sort of setting up rainbow trails around uh, their local area and Halloween trails where people would put a picture in their window and they would kind of map where they were um, and people can then kind of get their fresh air and have something a little bit exciting and interesting to be looking out for for various drawings within the windows and from my understanding is that some people are doing those during Christmas as well so it's been really as much as the pandemic has obviously been incredibly difficult and an incredibly stressful time for people there's actually been a lot of really positive things come from it as well and it's been great to sort of hear both sides of the story. Have you seen more use of technology by voluntary groups during this period? Absolutely. I think, you know, again, that's probably a positive thing that's come from it. People have had no choice but to get on board with technology. And I think, you know, previously we've probably all been a guilty of presuming that we need to do things face to face. Um, and, you know, face to face contact is hugely important. And I know that for a lot of groups, that's been something that they've really, really missed. But technology has allowed you to kind of stay together keep that communication open um, you know and, and embrace the technology that we've got available to us um, I um, we're going to play out today today's show with a, a record from a band called Sparks which you may have heard of um, many many years ago they did a track called this town ain't big enough for the two of us but they whilst we feel pretty good about running shit happens on remotely with you know with zoom they've just recorded an album um, from six different locations and video which is um, just just amazing, and it's actually yeah. called all that uh, brackets live in isolation. So um, if you get a chance, have a look at that video. It's amazing. But we'll play yeah, out with that later. Um, but some of that stuff that you're doing uh, is in some sense sounds absolutely fantastic. And um, um, have you been busier during the, the pandemic than you were before? <laughs> well, I only started in July, so I kind of came in uh, mid-pandemic, but certainly from what everyone said, yeah, it's, it's been a crazy time. But actually, like I said, it's come with a lot of really exciting opportunities as well and, a, you know, and a kind of way to you know, feel like you can really make a difference and really respond to, to a need. Good. Well, OK, thank Jenny. Thank you very much. Um, uh, Sarah, now maybe um, how can listeners best help the voluntary sector in Somerset or across the UK? I think as Jenny said you know we've seen such amazing examples of people 
um, volunteering in their community. And I would say if you if you have time and you can give time to support your community, um, we have some really great ways at Spark that we can link people up to volunteering opportunities. Um, we've got a, a website called Spark a Change. Um, and on that website, you can find hundreds of opportunities for volunteering in your community to make a difference. It's a great way of gaining new skills and making friends as well. Um, and you can go on there, you can register your as an organization or as an individual, uh, and you can look at what's, what's, what's available in your community. Um, we've also got something called um, COVID Community Champions. So particularly looking at um, the COVID situation that we're in, and that is looking for, we're looking for, um, volunteers in the community who can spread key messages to their friends, family and work colleagues about the latest guidance around COVID because for some people it's quite confusing and for people particularly in hard to reach communities, um, we're looking to try and give people some training to help spread the information and the guidance about COVID. So that's a really good way to volunteer. It sounds um, like, Sarah, it sounds like some ministers of the government could do with some advice <laughs> on what the guidance is. <laughs> I hear, I hear there's quite a lot of debate about whether a scotch egg is a substantial meal or not. Uh, yes, well, hmm. they're, 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 it's, it's just very confusing for people. And certainly a lot of the questions we get from our groups is, can they meet? When can they meet? How can they meet safely? And it's about um, helping people to interpret that guidance, um, but particularly some hard to reach community groups. You know, it's good to get these to have volunteers in their communities who can spread you know, the, the key information about COVID and guidelines. So that's something we're running. Um, so can, can, can people help um, with the voluntary sector and be isolated themselves? Yeah, I mean, if you can't, um, if you can't get out and about and volunteer for shielding or you're vulnerable, um, another great way, obviously, is if you can donate to a, a local organisation or charity, if you've got funds available and you can make a donation, that's always fantastic. But also if you're using social media, um, the power of social media is quite amazing and you can really effectively support a charity by just sharing some of their stories on your social media, by sharing it with friends and family. Most people have you know, quite a few friends and family on Facebook or Instagram. And that's a really powerful way that you can support the voluntary sector by sharing news and information, sharing appeals, sharing information about projects. Um, if you can't give financially or donate some of your time. So that's another really good way of helping the voluntary sector. Yeah, Sarah, it's a great idea. And it, it's even even making comments and things like that, you know, actually just being part of the conversation can really help raise the profile and, and the kind of, um, yeah, the general popularity of a page all helps, doesn't it? So, yeah, and I think a lot of the sheds in the shed groups have found that quite a nice way to connect with others as well, just being part of an ongoing conversation during lockdown on Facebook and things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, I think a lot of people don't necessarily realise what's going on in their community either and certainly... Um, we've seen with community fridges, food banks, that's been a really great way of spreading the message, getting increased donations, getting more support. So that's a really good way if people can't get out of the house, they don't have, um, you know, they don't have spare money, so they can't make a financial donation. But definitely social media is a great way of doing that. Um, can I just ask a kind of oblique question? We've got Cassie coming up from the Make Shed, which is a shed which has got younger um, uh, attendees. I mean, we'll, we'll get to talk to Cassie later, but are, are there grants available for, for younger people during this, this time? Because a lot of them are suffering badly um, um, from being isolated. Do you know of grants that maybe the, um, the Make Shed could be thinking about um, during the COVID crisis? 
Yeah, there are lots of grants available and we work with lots of funding partners. Um, so what I would say is, is get in touch. If you are a shed and you're, you, you know, you're looking for funding, get in touch with us. Um, as Jenny said, we've got representatives across Somerset who can help in your area with funding as well. There are grants available out there, particularly during the current um, COVID um, period that we're going through. And a lot of these funders will, will turn around and make decisions quite quickly as well. So there are lots of them, um, too many to name, but just get in touch with your local um voluntary sector advisor or just contact us at Spark and we can certainly try and help with that. Thank you. I'm sure Cassie will do that and uh, we'll pass that information on. But now look, um, Sarah and, and Jenny to some extent. Sarah, how, how do you see things developing in the, in the voluntary sector and, you know, over the next, I don't know, six, nine months or, or certainly during and, until now, until the COVID crisis is much lessened? I think um, one of the really positive outcomes from COVID, it's been a terrible time for so many people, but what has been a positive, as well as everyone embracing technology, is that people are working closely together across their communities. Um, they're working, you know, smaller groups are working closely with statutory bodies and funders, so local councils, NHS. People are definitely working closer together um, within their communities, which is really fantastic. And I think what it has highlighted going forward is the importance of, of community and volunteers and charitable organisations and smaller groups and actually the gaps that they can plug um, across Somerset and across the country. Um, but I do think what we're going to see is adapting and changing. I think groups are going, groups and charities are definitely going to be looking more at the way they're working, um, looking at sustainability. Obviously, there will be concerns about funding and, and, and next steps. And obviously, that's where Spark, as an organisation, we can support groups. We can help with, you know, planning for the future and their funding and how they're going to be sustainable. Um, but I think, you know, volunteers as well, getting, making sure that we have volunteers. As Jenny said earlier, loads and loads of people have volunteered during COVID, which is fantastic. And, and we're really keen to retain those volunteers for, for groups in the community so that we can continue training them, giving those volunteers support so that they can stay engaged in their communities and perhaps look at other ways of volunteering. I mean, I'm hopeful that when, when this is over, we can really start doing some equally kind of transformational work on climate change and the green agenda. How do you see that developing um, in the voluntary sector over the next six months or so? I think once we everyone gets through COVID, <laughs> I think that's going to be, the, that's the big thing for a lot of groups, I think, and different priorities will, will come forward for people. Um, I think for us at Spark, it's about making people sustainable, making groups sustainable. Um, and then other other items will pop up on their agendas going forward. But for us at the moment, I think it's really people just want to get through COVID. There's such uncertainty um, that going forward, we just need to support them as much as possible. Of course, we do have Brexit coming up in 20 working days as well. Yeah, everyone seems to have forgotten about Brexit, which um, <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, is, yeah, obviously that's there. That's going to have, that, again, more uncertainty for people. But I think as as... An organization we just need to support people through uncertain times and, and everybody can support each other in their communities as well. So Jenny what do you see the big changes coming up in 2021? Yeah I think I definitely agree with Sarah I think it's a case of you know some groups it will be quite a long time until they can function in the way in which they have been used to doing um, and it's a case of actually is that the most appropriate you know sort of set up for them now um we've had quite a lot of conversations with a lot of people who have said you know what well, this has really turned the way we work on its head and there's a lot of elements that we want to keep moving forward we don't just want to 
you know, presume everyone has to come to a meeting, everyone has to come to a group. We, we recognise that we can maybe reach a lot more people through some of the technology that we're using as well. So I think, as Sarah said, it's going to be a case of us doing our best to support those groups to, to change and develop in whatever way they want to, um, whether that's going right back to how they were pre-COVID or whether that's, you know, a kind of combination of some of the systems and things they've had to set up to get through the pandemic. Um, I, I was talking to a shed in North Wales um, just recently and they were saying that, that they're trying to figure out how they can really engage some of the people who've not managed to make the transition to use technology during COVID because they're now even, if you like, more, more excluded than they were before um, and how we can, how we can um, help, help develop that on a broader level. Yeah, I was just going to say, going back to um, the phone calls, we are seeing an awful lot across Somerset, which is great, an awful lot of people coming together to try and set up befriending support, which is so important for, for all ages as well, you know, 18 plus. Um, it's not just older people who feel um, isolated and, and vulnerable. Actually, it's, it's, it's across the board and COVID has brought an extra dimension to that. So we're really pleased to see that happening at Spark as well. There is some data to show that younger people are suffering more than older people yeah. um, in this respect from isolation. Kate? Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, there's obviously lots of different types of people, but generally in state, you know, states of the crisis, people either retreat and then start to become very comfortable with being in that's the kind of retreat place. Some people, when it become, when everything starts to open up, will be go-getty and want to be out there. And actually, they're the people we don't need to worry about. It's those that are going to be in that place of kind of got used to hiding away. They need to put phone calls and continuous conversation from those go-getty kind of ones that are comfortable being out there. It's really, really important. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Thank you very much for these parks, Emma. No worries. Thank you're you so much for having us. Take care. Bye. Good to see you all. Bye. 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 Now we're very pleased that uh, we have Cassie, Cassie Morris here from the Make Shit in Froome, which is a bit of a different kind of shit. And so, Cassie, maybe tell us what. Talk to us about the Make Shit. How does it work, and who goes? And so the Make Shed is a young adults shed. Um, is for aimed at the ages of eighteen to thirty five. And um, people can come along in unusual times. You can just bring your own projects to work on. And then we also sometimes have volunteers come in and teach specific skills. And um, currently we, we have sort of tutor-led sessions going on, which are funded by Somerset Skills and Learning. But at the moment, we're, we're functioning as a kind of educational group uh, for people to come along and learn skills. Uh, well, so we'll talk about that in a minute, but talk to me about the 35. If I'm 36, can I still turn up? Well, to be honest, it's 35-ish is how it says <laughs> on our flyers. Um, and honestly, we, we do have a bit more of a range of people turning up, but that tends to work well because it's, it's I think both the older and younger ends of those brackets have something to offer each other and things to learn from each other. So we're pretty flexible. Uh, I have visited the Mokshire personally, um, and I don't fall into that bracket, although ish is, is the word, but I, I am I'm conscious that there are people who've turned up who are even older than myself to the Mokshire. I think um, the president of the Froome Shed turned up on a few occasions, did he not? Um, he certainly did. And, uh, <laughs> actually, I think on our opening night, he, he came in and, and was showing some people how to use saws and somehow the only injury that happened on that first opening night was him it was him to cut himself with the saw <laughs> interesting moment how long has the the, the make sure been running cassie so we've been running now a year and a half um, 
we started and were set up as part of a startup project, one of, of Adventure Froome's startup projects, which I was a part of. And so we, we put together the Makesheds kind of concept and ideas over 10 weeks and then launched, it was the 4th of July. Uh, Cassie, do you have a practical example of the sort of one of the projects you've um, kicked off there or something that's happened in the shed? Um, so recently we've had um, some tutor-led sessions, including a green woodwork session. Um, and that was actually led by Josh of Lovely Spoons, who's a really brilliant um, whittler, I suppose, who came in and taught people some sort of practical green woodworking skills. Um, the other week, we've also had all sorts really. So we go on what our members are interested in. And we did soap making the other week. So making soaps from scratch and we've done wet felting recently. So it's really quite a range of different skills that people come wanting to learn. I think one of the differences that I noticed about the, the younger person shed is that in typical sheds where the age group is much older, there's a lot of skills that can be shared. Whereas in the younger person shed, there's more skills that people are after. So it's more about learning, learning than, than maybe in the, in the older person shed. Is that, is that what you recognize, Cassie? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. We do have some members who come along and kind of informally share skills with each other. But as we've kind of gone along and progressed with the idea and learned as, as, we've, as we've gone along, we've realized that really people are wanting to learn skills and we've had to reach out for those and, and think about how we're funded in terms of, you know, what people are really coming looking for. And they are looking to learn new skills. Um, so we've had to find the right people to bring in to, to, to teach really. The last time I visited, there was people making pots and you had some kind of potter, didn't you, who, who supported and helped with that? Yeah, so that's right. So that was actually Julia, who um, is an artist who has her studio in the Welsh Mill Hub. Um, so I kind of know her well. And she was had come along to teach some pottery um, to our members. And so there was people there doing pottery for the first time ever? There absolutely was. And actually, do you know, pottery and hand building has been a really popular thing with our shed it wasn't one that we were expecting at all there's been a lot a lot more of a kind of arts and creativity focus rather than always very practical projects sorry Kate no I can ask so do you in terms of your space do you does it all for you do you share it with others or how does it work um, so we ran out of the remakery in the Welsh Mill Hub, which is kind of like a community workshop venue. Um, we also use a space which is during the day used as a shared office co-working space, particularly at the moment, you know, we're having to use both spaces because we have limited numbers and we need to have everybody two metres apart for social distancing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was just, when you said candle, oh no, not candle, you said soap making. I was just thinking because I've done candle making and I've done wreath making and you can charge quite a lot for those workshops. And I just I don't know. It's always that kind of doubling up of giving your premise and lending your premises out for other reasons. But it sounds like you share it as a community workshop anyway. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's a community workshop, which in usual times is rentable by other projects. And there, there are, you know, workshops that usually would happen in there, which are chargeable workshops. One of the things that constantly kind of brings me joy is running these kind of workshops and, and giving them for free 
um, where they wouldn't be accessible yeah. to a lot of people. You know, we did a lino printing workshop last week. And I remember myself looking at one that was available last year and it was something like 50 pounds to yeah. go along for a few hours, you know, so that it's pretty satisfying to be able to run those kind of things for free. For yeah, giving experiences that others, you know, otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't they wouldn't have access to, absolutely. Yeah, so. exactly. Hmm. So, so what kind of lino prints got generated last week in terms of um, examples by the participants? There were all sorts. There was quite a range. There was um, some very Christmassy ones, you know, Christmas scenes. Um, there was a, there was a fox. There was a kind of um, a weird and wonderful kind of mushroom card that somebody made. And um, it was lovely actually seeing them all lined up. I must post um, some images onto our Facebook page for people to check out. Yeah, do send us a copy and we'll, we'll put it on the show page too. I will do. So you've had Greenwood working, you've had lino cuts, and, and have you managed to, to run throughout the latest lockdown in terms of education and training? Yes, yeah, so we've been able to stay open because of um, these, this funding from Somerset Skills and Learning and running it as an, as, as an educational project. Um, obviously, we've had to manage numbers and be really careful about running in a safe way. And that's been a challenge, but it's also, felt really worthwhile because it's meant a lot to the people who have come along to be able to come and do something social, even if they've had to be a distance apart. So what kind of things have you still got planned to, to happen next? And well, we've got Josh coming back this week doing green woodworking and then, and then we've got a session uh, on the 10th, which will probably, I think it's going to be macrame. I'm in the middle of kind of tying that down. And then we have a, re a repeat block printing workshop on the 17th. So you you're working all the way up to Christmas? Yeah, so the 17th will be our, our last session. And then we'll see what the plans will be for the new year. Sounds amazing. I wish, I, I wish there was something similar near where I live. The same shed that I was talking to in North Wales about technology, they've just started a younger person shed in, I think it's Colwyn Bay. And I've asked them to be in touch as well, because I think um, there's not that many around. I think there's one in North Yorkshire as well. But they, mm -hmm. um, it would be good to get, hear more people's, um, because I think it's really, when I went, certainly the attendees were really enthusiastic about taking part in things they'd never done before and learning about that. And mm -hmm. at one stage, you think there was a big piece of paper on the floor. Um, with paint getting thrown at it, um, big time. I think it's so important for that, you know, that tactile using your practical skills, even if it's just for craft. Because like, I know I was speaking to a design and technology association because te design and technology associations, classrooms are so expensive to run and keep. They're often being stripped out of schools. So kids might do it and get to learn how to design things, but never actually see it tangibly in the, in the real thing. So, yeah, what an amazing opportunity to to have that experience of actually doing something and then seeing the result of that, really fulfilling. I think the other thing is, is there's a gap also for people under 18. But I was talking to a, a, um, a trustee of a shed just recently who was getting real-time advice on Zoom access from their seven-year-old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so PJ, questions for Cassie? I was just reminded of um, when you're talking about uh, a spoon carving event that there's there's a there's, there's a thing called, i mean i come from the festival industry and um there's a thing called spoon fest which seems mm -hmm. to be a festival of spoon carving which sounds remarkable have you been involved in that 
So I, I have heard about it, um, but I've not been involved. Actually, funny, a funny kind of story. When I first moved to Froome, some of my friends were kind of teasing me and saying, oh, you're going to turn into a spoon whittler, because I hear that's what happens in Froome. And now I find myself, um, I laughed that off, and now I find myself running whittling workshops. <laughs> when the, the Froome shed initially launched, I tried to get a Froome, a, a whittler to come along and do a session. And he had like a, a nine-month waiting list wow. and a huge fee, huge fee to come and do a, 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 a training session. So my advice is that any of you spoon whittlers that are getting good in the main shed, <laughs> go commercial. <laughs> there's, a, yeah. there's a demand for it and there's some, there's some good value to be had. Well, they do, they do say that an expert is anyone who knows more than you do. Exactly. So that might be a starting point. It's absolutely true. And we really hope that some of our, our members can take on some of these skills and do useful things with them. And, and you know, if that gets to a point where they can make some kind of livelihood or supplement their income by running workshops themselves, then, you know, we'd be absolutely thrilled. Um, and the adventure, adventure Apprentice System is working well, I think. Um, I see the latest one is called, what is it? Ding Dong on your bike um, and to do <laughs> bicycle repair. Yeah, so Ding is the latest startup team. They've created a kind of a bike workshop. They're working in partnership with Froome Town Council um, to run bike repair workshops um, over the, the coming year. Um, yeah, they're a really excited group of young people who are really passionate about trying to do, create the sustainable business going forward. I take part in the Repair Cafe, also that happens at the Welsh Mill. And one of our most popular uh, activities there is bicycle repair and servicing. So and, and we can only afford to do it a few times a year. So if there's a permanent um, or a regular facility for having uh, bikes fixed, I'm sure that would be really popular. I was to say, and actually, I know that Dalbiti, right, are going way up north now in sort of the borders of Scotland. Exactly the same thing. They found that during lockdown as well, because it was something they could do in isolation, is repairing bikes. I believe they've actually been managing to turn some normal bikes into electric bikes as well, which is obviously, I mean, I don't know how many hills there are around. I think it's quite a lot. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> moving on from that, it must, that must be another skill to add to individuals' bows, to be able to turn a bike into an electric bike. Yeah. <laughs> Mm, yeah, that's got to be a good thing. My brother actually just recently brought an electric cargo bike. So they're kind of often spotted cycling around Froome with my niece in the front of their, and the dog. Well, they're, made, they're made just downstairs from you, aren't they? Uh, Cyclist Maximus. They make mm -hmm. um, uh, three-wheeled electric bikes and all sorts of uh, magical gizmos. It's all rather wonderful down there. Well, Cassie, look, uh, we, we'll come back to you uh, a little bit later, but thank you very much indeed for that update. We wish you all the very best for your future sessions and um, with your lino cuts and, and your greenwood carving and um, best wishes to all your shedders. And I'm going to now move to PJ, who, who's been supporting Shed Happens a lot, but is a, a member of um, the Tech Shed, although he's been not, not been able to attend just lately. But PJ, maybe tell us a bit about the Tech Shed in Froome and what kind of things it does. Maybe I can... You have a list on your website that says, um, uh, what do you mean by technology? And they talk about Arduinos and, and VR and et cetera, et cetera, and micro bits, breadboards. If you could maybe talk about the tech show, what it does do and what it doesn't do, and, and some of its background, that might be helpful. And also cover the, the, one of the latest projects that's going on as well. But um, over to you, PJ. Talk to us about the tech show. Yeah, um, it's interesting that um, 
I sometimes sit in on meetings and have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> it's, for, it's for the young propeller heads who uh, really understand what uh, all these acronyms and, um, and digital doodars mean. And I, I tend to be slightly more involved on the, on the mechanical side. But uh, having said that, uh, Arduinos are tiny little computers, a bit like the Raspberry Pi, which some people may be familiar with. And they're the very cheap, very accessible um, digital things for doing things like, uh, I don't know, plugging in sensors and activators. So you sense that the temperature has gone up to 18 degrees and you turn off the, the heater or something. It, it's, it's, it's very simple things like that. But they can also be very complicated and much more sophisticated things to do with digital processing. Um, and breadboards are the, the, the test beds where you put components together and um, plug in bits and pieces and without having to come up with a complicated printed circuit board and soldering and that sort of thing. And that's kind of brings me to the main point, which is the difference between face-to-face -face and meeting in person. I've um, found the online meetings to be nice social events. It's good to catch up with people, but the real value of Tech Shed has been sitting around a table playing with bits and pieces, making lights go on and, and watching bizarre stuff happening over the internet from a camera that you've put in your fridge or um, working on the, the more practical projects that we've been doing. Uh, the principal one, which just kicked off during, um, well, before lockdown, but has been actuated since lockdown, is the air quality uh, monitoring program, which has been sponsored by Broomtown Council and has involved putting air quality monitors around the town. And uh, we put the first ones out in uh, late spring, I think. And we were slightly concerned, though I suppose it shouldn't have been, that the air quality in Prune was regularly good everywhere. It was, it, it's kind of rewarding on one hand, but on the other hand, he's sort of going, we're not getting any change. We're not noticing a change from busy traffic during the day to overnight. And uh, so we've been working on remodeling uh, the sensors themselves so that they're more accurate. And part of it is to do with the electronics in the sensor. And part of it's to do with the mechanics of how the air flows through it. And I made the first lot uh, on a 3D printer. And um, since then, we've had uh, a chap uh, join us. Joe has joined us from Wiltshire, and he's actually done 3D printing as a university subject, and he knows what he's talking about. And he's come up with a much better design. And we now have sensors that can tell the difference between there being traffic and there being no traffic. And we're in the process of rolling those out. And uh, I think we're all looking forward to be able to get back together in the, uh, in the remakery and, um, you know, look at bits of plastic and push them about and ask each other what they are. You're listening to Shed Happens on Froom FM at 96.6 FM locally to Froom and worldwide on Froom.fm. We realise that the COVID restrictions are very varied across the UK and beyond. And we urge you to find out your own local guidelines and follow them. Please keep to the spirit of the guidelines and don't seek ways to get around them. And do get in touch with us. Please email us at shedhappens at ukmsa.org.uk or visit shedhappens.uk. Um, a brief um, add-in here. BBC Radio 4's afternoon news and current affairs programme, PM, has been asking listeners to send in their own COVID chronicles. And this is where PM listeners describe their experience of life during the coronavirus pandemic. Now, here's one that PJ recorded 
It was broadcast on BBC Radio 4pm on the 25th of November. Um, so well done, PJ. How did you manage to get that into the show? Well, when they introduced the, the idea of this COVID Chronicles back in March, I had uh, recently just had my, well, all of my work for the season cancelled. I was hanging on in sort of quiet desperation uh, for Glastonbury to, 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 to go ahead, uh, but uh, it was cancelled. And it was quite clear that uh, everyone in my festival family was going to be out of work. And in fact, most people in the live events industry were going to be absolutely strapped. And uh, so I'm going to take this opportunity to mention a fundraiser for people who are in that position. It's called Prince for Music. And if you go to princeformusic.com, you'll find a selection of photographs of uh, musos by world-renowned photographers. And one exception to that, which is me, because I happen to have uh, six photos in there, which I took in 1974, finally after 45 years of seeing the light of day. But anyway, you can buy these prints, uh, £95 a piece. I mean, they're not for everyone, obviously, because 95 quid is a lot of money, but they are splendid photographs. And if for no other reason, just go and have a look at them, because they really are rather marvellous, and they're going to a very good cause. Where does the money go to? It goes to the Stagehand Benevolent Fund run by the Production Services Association. Well, well done for doing that, PJ. Now, we'll hear this clip in just a moment, but um, I, I think you um, quit your granny in the, in the clip, do you not, PJ? I certainly do. I mean, I've often wondered, you know, people who are no longer with us now, like my father and, and other relatives, how they would have dealt with the, with the COVID pandemic. Um, kind of interesting to think about, really. Well, she survived the uh, 1918 flu epidemic. And um, so she probably would have said, well, in my day, <laughs> or something starting with in my day, and gone on to tell us how, you know, they didn't have Zoom, but they managed to get by and turnips or something. I don't know. Be something like that. Here's that clip of PJ's COVID Chronicle from BBC Radio 4's PM programme. Now, everybody's feeling COVID in their own way. We've asked you through all of this, if you'd like to write up your own story, 400 words, uh, send it to us at pm at bbc.co.uk. We're calling these COVID chronicles and we're playing some of them. And today is from PM listener Richard Paul Jones and his reflections have been very topical in recent weeks. I was brought up to believe that during times of national crisis there were two occupations that would always survive, the brewers and the entertainers. This wisdom was passed to me by my grandmother. Many hours were spent in the kitchen with her telling me and my sister stories from her long life. One that stuck was, the music halls never closed and there was always beer. She knew what she was talking about. She was our reference point, our source of wisdom and truth. Many years later, having spectacularly failed at school and in need of a job, I was reminded of her hypothesis. This was the late 60s, and as a baby boomer, I was part of the luckiest and possibly most deluded generation that ever existed. We brimmed with optimism. The old ways of class and privilege would give way to a world of peace and love, with truth and equality for all. And the vehicle for this truth, and our obsession, was music. And where there was music, there was usually beer. So they were my two career opportunities, with Granny's added job security, 
all nicely wrapped up in one place. It seemed that brewers had to get up early, not so musicians, so I ran away and joined the rock and roll circus. Not having a musical bone in my body, I was firmly a backstage boy, and I haven't been seriously out of work since. It was a hectic life, before breathalysers and working time directives, when agents would book gigs in Cornwall and Carlisle on consecutive nights, and no sleep till the next town was a literal truth. Many of my contemporaries lived fast and died young, and it was more luck than judgement that I didn't join them. Fifty years on, I'm poacher turned gamekeeper. Renegade, rock and roll wide boy turned health and safety consultant, specialising in large-scale public events. Just about everyone in my touring and festival family is out of work, performers and technicians alike, and we have no idea when people will once again fill the arenas, dance in the fields and revel en masse with their friends. We've survived hard times before, and I know that this too will pass. I try to be sanguine, but I'm having a really hard time coming to terms with the fact that Granny was wrong. Covid Chronicle from Richard Paul Jones. Okay, thank you for that. Now look back to um, um, air quality monitors. Are you aware of other places that are doing these air quality monitors and manufacturing them? And are you linked up with them across across the country? Uh, yes, the, the results of our sensors go out on a website called OpenSense Map. The project is, is, is an extension of a project started in Germany. And so the vast majority of these sensors are in Germany. Uh, but every time I look at the map, there's another couple being added in. And if you go to opensensemap.org, uh, you'll find a map of the world with, and you zoom in on the area you're interested in, and you can find out where your nearest air quality sensor is. It would be interesting if, if we could link up some of the public health services to air quality, because there's an awful lot of um, people suffering from poor air quality, which um, maybe we, if we had to overlay the medical experiences of um, of poor air quality. That is that is one of the intentions. Is that um, I mean, on, on a very parochial level, in Froome alone, if we were able to tie up the data with presentations at the medical centre, and we can see if people are uh, turning up presenting with um, respiratory problems, and they coincide with areas of higher air pollution then you know, there's some evidence there to be taking some practical measures to slow down traffic or, or, or change the environment in some way uh, in order to help people not end up ill. Uh, but yes, there's all sorts of um, little things that one can do. You know, areas around schools, putting uh, pedestrian areas around schools or low traffic zones. And really, once you start thinking like this, there's all sorts of opportunities turn up. Good. Well, thank you for that. Now, the, um, the tech shed, are they, they working through uh, remotely through the, the lockdown, making the um, air quality monitors and doing the work? Yes, we, uh, we, we meet um, weekly on Zoom and talk about um, where we've got to, what needs to be done. And then we run around with little boxes of plastic and electronics and dropping off at each other's houses. <laughs> and um, we're currently working on a way of getting our hosts, those are the people who uh, have the air quality monitors in their homes and businesses to install them 
themselves so that we can continue building the project. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a constant process of development and um, we hope improvement. I think we're, we're nearly coming to the end of uh, today's show. So um, any, any questions that might be asked? I don't know if this is fitting for the show really anyway, uh, but when you were talking, I couldn't talk because the decorator was uh, was busy sunding, but um, you talked about the wisdom of the generation before. So, you know, how they would have dealt with the COVID-19 and two things came to mind in my Nana Ruby. So one was she always said, worst troubles at sea. <laughs> she probably would have said that now. The other thing she always said, and this is not necessarily related to COVID, was look after your teeth and your smile will look after you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, fantastic. I'd like to thank Nana Ruby, even though she's no longer with us. Um, it's really nice to hear about what's been going on in Tech Shed. It's been a difficult, you know, not being able to see the other shed so much during lockdown and not being able to collaborate in the way that we had all hoped to. So I just really look forward to some point in the future when we can all actually get together and work on projects together. But maybe maybe we could maybe we can 3D print some spoons. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an interesting idea. Yeah, why not? Froom definitely needs to lead on that, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, this has been this week's Shed Happens on Froom FM 96.6 and online at Froom.fm. Thanks to Cassie Morris from the Make Shed and PJ from the Tech Shed and Sarah Cummins and Jenny Hannis from Spark Somerset and Kate Gordon um, here in the, uh, in the UK. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So please email us at shedhappens at ukmsa.org.uk or visit shedhappens.uk. So say goodbye, studio guests. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Good to see you, Cassie. Until next time. Harking back to our earlier guests, Sarah and Jenny from Spark Somerset, we'll close with some music from a band called Sparks. But PJ corrected me from an earlier reference. What, what The track they had about 50 years ago, PJ was called what? This town ain't big enough for the both of us. For the both of us, not the two of us. But we play out with the Sparks track called All That, which was recorded live in isolation from six different locations. Here's Sparks, All That. You said to me and all the times you prayed for me and all the holy places we would go. I don't need to fool around and I don't need to drool around. I'm with you till God says it's time to go. While others may have so much more to say, each street we walk on the Champs Elysees. All that we've done, we've lost, we've won. All that, all that, and more. All that we've seen, we've heard, we've dreamed. All that, all that, and more. All the smiles and all the frowns and all. And all the downs and all the fears that you would soon be gone. You ignore.
Some 